What's up, OUXers? Today we've got quite the party of the conversation. You've got Sandra Ebby, Miriam Suzanne, and myself, Sophia Prater. Hi. Basically all talking excitedly at once about OUX. <laughs> Actually, uh, for, for a three-way conversation, we did a pretty good job of not talking over each other. So many of you CSS friends out there um, probably know and maybe even to a certain extent worship Miriam Suzanne for the amazing work she's done with the front end dev community. I mean, she's truly, it's just amazing what she's doing. It's, she's truly at the cutting edge of the newest innovations in CSS. She's helping the folks at the CSS working group because she's part of the CSS working group um, to bring container queries and layers and lots of other cool things to your favorite browser. So actually, um, many of you might be listening to the OUX podcast for the first time because of your love of Miriam Suzanne. Um, so for all the CSS nerds out there, hello, welcome to the world of Object Orient UX. If you've never heard of Object Orient UX, um, after this episode, you might want to go back and listen to couple of those first episodes, I think like episode one and two are a really nice primer in Object Orient UX, um, but it's it's great to have you here. Welcome. Welcome. Um, so back to Miriam. Miriam is the co-founder of Oddbird, which is an agency that helps clients bring apps and websites into the world. And they specialize in getting goals and, priori and priorities really straight, getting accessibility right from the get-go, and in general, just making resilient systems that keep maintenance costs low. And thanks to Sandra, OUX has become a significant part of their process to do this work. So Sandra is a certified OUX strategist from Cohort 1, one of the very brave souls that was so excited about Object or UX. She said yes to this crazy experiment that I kicked off in February of 2020. What a time, right? Um, Sandra rocked the course, and she quickly started implementing OUX at Oddbird. She's actually going to be a mentor during Cohort 6, um, which kicks off January-ish. Um, so enrollment's going to be opening up soon. So if you are interested in being a part of Cohort 6, getting to hang out with Sandra, make sure you are on the waitlist. You can go to OUX.com slash waitlist or just go to the homepage, OUX.com. There's a big pink banner there. Click on get on the waitlist and you will be um, you'll be one of the first to know when enrollment opens up very limited spots. It is a small group coaching program, a 10-week program. Um, it's intense. Okay, so one quick announcement before we actually get started with the interview. If you are part of a certification cohort, any of the past five, um, or you're enrolled in the self-paced masterclass, you are invited to an OUXer exclusive holiday party. So we're still working on the date. So strategists, this is really an announcement for strategists, but I want you to know self-paced masterclass folks, you are going to be invited to, but perk of being a strategist, you get to help me figure out what day we're going to do this on and also what time. So strategists, please log into the forum, check out the featured section, and please let me know what dates and times work for you. Hopefully that invite will go out in the next week or so. Um, so watch your email for that. Okay, so that's the only announcement I have. So let's, let's jump into the conversation. Enjoy. Welcome to the Object Oriented UX podcast, a podcast about tackling complexity head on, 
gracefully organizing massive amounts of information, and designing scalable, future-proof, and of course, naturally intuitive, object-oriented user experiences. An OUXer is a powerful blend of information architect, business analyst, facilitator, and UX strategist. If this sounds like you or what you aspire to, you are so in the right place. I'm Sophia Prater, UX designer, chief evangelist of Objectora UX, and your host. Let's jump into it. Miriam and Sandra, welcome to the Object Oriented UX podcast. Thank you. So excited to be here. Yeah, thanks. Are you excited to talk about Object Oriented UX? I know I'm very excited to talk about Object Oriented UX with y'all. Um, yeah, so I'm thinking back to like, like when we first connected. So that was Generate, Con- Generate Conference uh, right there, tail end of 2019. Um, we had, we were, we were so innocent. We had no idea it was around the corner, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> we, I, I, I think Miriam, you were doing a presentation, um, on CSS and I kind of like yeah. look back on that. I think that might've been the first time I heard about CSS grid. Were you talking, okay. were you talking about, do you remember if that was when you were talking about CSS I wasn't, grid? I don't think I was. Well, I, I did talk about grid some. I think I was mostly talking about variables and grid together, mm. um, sort of a dynamic approach to CSS. And then Jen Simmons was talking about grids even more. And Yeah. Did she do the live demo or is it you that did the live yeah. demo? She did the live that demo. That was Jen Simmons. So that inspired me. I actually did an OUX live demo at a design content conference in Vancouver and it was inspired. It was my, I guess, like the next um, talk that I did. I was like, I got to do a live demo. That was so cool. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. I want to steal that one too. Right. Yeah, it was It was really neat. But yeah, I am no CSS expert. Um, so I, as, as I said, before we started rolling here, I've been listening to some of your podcasts that are, I, un- I understand about uh, 30% of what you're saying in other interviews. So this is going to be we're going to be talking like design technical, but not so much about the intricacies of CSS. Um, we Great. we might get into some of that, uh, but just you're going to have to explain it to us like we're like we're five years old. Um, and then so we we were both speakers at that conference, and we were sitting down. I think we were eating ramen. Is that right? Were we at a ramen bar? There was like a long table. I know there was a long table and a bunch of speakers were there and we were kind of sitting next to each other, even though we didn't know each other. And if I remember, That's the, right. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some sort of food court or something. Yeah. It was like a food court. Yeah. Some people were eating raw. I know. I think I was eating ramen. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a really cool food court and it was, the speakers were there. It was a beautiful night. And um, I don't know if I had not given my talk yet or y'all had missed my talk, but one of you, said, Hey, what, what are, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is regular speakers dinner, um, conversation. Yeah. And I mentioned object or in UX and Sandra, you had already heard of it, I think. Yeah, that's right. So I tagged along with Miriam to the conference. One of my first conferences in the web development and design world, I was really excited. And I had read your articles in a list apart 
And I was really excited to hear your talk or go to your workshop and did not realize that I couldn't go to your workshop in the middle. So I started off with uh, Miriam's workshop and tried to join yours and then was unable to go. And so I was really, really excited to be able to tag along with Miriam to that speaker dinner, crash the speaker dinner and talk with you about it since I missed your workshop. Yeah. And so were you already kind of using object oriented UX at this point, or you just had read the articles? I'd read the articles. We were embarking on a major redesign of our oddbird.net website. And we had lots of content that we needed to understand how to arrange, like events was really tricking us and talks because events and talks and then articles too. I mean, they're all sort of overlapping and we need to understand how we were going to get these things out to people and how they could search for them on our website and find what they needed. And so I was just diving into your articles to try to do that. And y'all's website is beautiful. I love your website. It's, uh, it's providing some inspiration, but it's definitely, you can very clearly see the different things on the website and how kind of all these things come together. It's funny you mention talks and articles and events because that's something that I actually struggle with on OUX.com because we have resources. So resources is an object and then we have types of resources. So a podcast episode being a type of a resource, a case study being a type of a resource, a video being a type of a resource. And then we have an event. And like, what is, is an event a resource? It has slightly different structure to it. And what happens after the event is over and you have a recording or an article does like the event turn into the resource? How did y'all end up handling it on your site? We're still struggling with it on our site a little bit. We keep tweaking it and changing it. Um, So far we have events on our resources page. So they show up Um, when they're, when they're in the future, they show up at the top. And then we have talks that are attached to events. And so a specific talk will happen at a specific event and you can access talks in a different place as well. If you just wanna go to the talk and you can see which version of the talk it is by knowing which event it was given at. So it's this really uh, complex relationship. Yeah, we we sort of have events nested under talks or something, it's like, the talk is the main thing. And then you can see the six events that it's been at and videos for many of those that are available. So this sounds like something. So we invented a word last year in the, in the OUX community, because we couldn't, we couldn't find an existing development pattern that, or a word for this pattern. Um, It's kind of a philosophical pattern, like parent child wasn't it was like a special type of a parent-child relationship in where you're going from a more general version of a thing to a more specific version of the thing. And so we call those tree systems actually, because you can have these multiple layers where you have like, you have the talk, which is kind of like the idea talk. If we think about Plato's cave a little bit, <laughs> like we have like, <laughs> you know, this is the idealized version. And then you, the form of the, the talk, form of the talk. Yes. And the archetypical <laughs> talk. And then you have it manifested as an event where it actually, the talk actually happened, um, which has a date and time to it, but like the talk doesn't have a date and time. 
until, but then there's all this inheritance there. Um, I mean, that pattern just comes up all the time. Is there, is there another word for that where you sort of go like, uh, let me give you another example before I uh, turn it back over to you. But another example that comes up a lot is something like um, a movie. So there's the movie and then there's the showtime for the movie. And then there's the ticket. So there's like Black Widow and then there's Black Widow at 8 p.m. at, you know, Cinema 8. And then there is my specific ticket with my seat <laughs> at 8 p.m. Black Widow. So they kind of like you get to this more and more specific version. Is there another word for that? Objects and instances. But it's not because they're all objects, <laughs> right? So even like at Black, like the, yeah. that movie has its own instances. Black Widow is the instance of it. Right. Then you get into the instances of the the showtime, but movie and showtime and ticket are all objects with their own instances. Yeah, we have not come up with new terminology. We have still fumbled around um, trying to say, you know, like the talk event where the we kind of tend to combine words when we run into those um, inheritance relationships. We combine the objects names and try to talk about them that way sometimes yeah and then you have so so okay so that that tells me that i can still continue to use tree systems I, i'm always asking so like maybe there's another word for this that we should be using but it, it just comes up this pattern you have you have the lesson and then you have the student's version of the lesson that actually has a grade on it but it ladders up to the lesson an instance of the lesson example that i always give how to rainbows form and then there's uh, little Sandra's version of how to rainbows form where she got an A plus on it. You know, I totally did. Yeah. Wait, Sandra, tell us how rainbows form. <laughs> did not prepare for that one. Right. No, I didn't. I'm thinking about unicorns and sprinkles. Yeah. Yeah. It's like just, just Taylor Swift running through the sky on a uniform <laughs> unicorn. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have no idea how rainbows form. Um, water light refraction i think is involved involved in that um okay so miriam when sandra kind of brings oux to oddbird and says hey i was reading these articles hey i want to get do the certification so sandra was in cohort one the beta certification jumped right on that uh, with um all the bravery that that took uh miriam what were your reactions to this um what were your initial thoughts Oh, it was great. And I mean, one of the things that really uh, made it connect for me was we were already doing this in a way that Sandra wasn't connected to. The The backend team would talk about data models. Um, and it was a lot of the same conversations, uh, but Sandra wasn't part of those conversations. Um, and then we would run into conflicts in terminology between what Sandra was doing and what the backend developers were doing. And uh, it just sort of very quickly helped that communication. They were both looking at the same objects. They were talking about them in the same way. Um, I, it, I love it. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome to hear. So, I mean, I hear that so much that it helps with the communication and I kind of want to get more into the details of that, but before we go any further. So like one of the main reasons that we're talking today is y'all are using object or UX that I want to see 
you know, get into all the details of how you're using it, how it manifests at Oddbird and what we can all learn from that. But for those that are just jumping into this OUX podcast for the very first time, hi, hi, newcomers. Um, I'm hoping that we can just define object-oriented UX and I could do it, but I love to hear it hear it from the horse's mouth. I'm wondering, Sandra, can you like, how would you, how do you explain object-oriented UX as if you were explaining it to a new client, somebody that's never, or even a fellow designer, somebody that's never heard of it before? Sure. Um, what I say is that OUX is a philosophy that helps us understand the people, the places, and the things that are in a digital product that we're going to be creating or looking at. And we want to understand how those objects are going to relate to each other and how we're going to relate to them and interact with them. Um, so I love your idea about a room. We're going into a room that you presented when I was in cohort one of your certification class. Um, I always use that to help people understand. There's a chair in a room, a person serving food, a table with food. And anytime you interact with the chair, the table, or the person, you'll be able to recognize them as a chair, table, or person. And we want to, in our digital room, have that same experience with the objects. And that really helps clients uh, grasp this idea quite quickly and, and run with it. I love that. Thanks. Thanks so much for that. Uh, it's just so, that's so succinct. Um, one, a new thing that actually uh, came up recently, or was it's not new, it's actually from an article that Avril Yankee wrote in 2011. She wrote something, I think it was called Object, Object versus Task Design, I think was the name of the article. I will link it into the show notes. But she gave this great example of how do you think about your day. And you think about, you don't think about it verb first. You don't think, okay, what are all the things I need to wash <laughs> today? <laughs> and what are all the things I need to work on today? And what are all the things I need to um, brush today? You think about first, you think you say you have like baby cat, car, right? <laughs> and you think more and then, okay, so the car, I need to wash the car, um, hair, I need to brush, I need to wash and brush the, ha the hair. Uh, so we're very much, we kind of like think about the things first and we have to get really clear on what those things are before we can think about what we want to do to those things. Um, and just often our industry, like jump straight to the verbs without really clearly defining the nouns. And for me, at least, I would say washing a car is different from washing my hair. Or washing, That's my experience. Or washing your baby. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, for sure. For sure. It, like the context matters. Like how I'm doing a thing is going to matter what I'm doing it too. So, I mean, even if I know I'm kicking a ball, well, um, is it a soccer ball? <laughs> is it, or like, let's say I'm moving a ball from point A to point B, how I do that is going to depend on, is it a bowling ball? Is it a soccer ball? Is it a volleyball? Is it a tennis ball? Okay. The methodology I will use to get ball from point A to point B will be different, but I got to know what the thing is first. All right. So walk me through it. Take me through the details. What does it look like? What is, what is object oriented X? Wait, wait, wait a second. Back up. We have, a, I got another question first before we get into the, um, the nitty gritty. Tell me, Miriam, tell me a little bit more about Oddbird first. 
what does Oddbird do? How do you help out your clients? Um, what kind of work do you do? Yeah, it's been a range over the years. Um, we're a small team uh, doing client work on the web. Uh, it started with me and my brothers, um, and then we expanded out. Sandra was our first hire, one of the first. Um, and uh, it can range dramatically from building new applications and websites from scratch to uh, building design systems. I mean, our process, we try to build a design in we try to build a design system into new products as we're, as we're making them. Um, but often then we're also coming in later and helping with refactors, helping add design systems on late, uh, helping with accessibility, um, anything like that. We like making the web better and helping clients do that. So and, and what kind of clients do you do you take on? Are you in any kind of certain niche? I wouldn't say uh, we're certainly not in a niche with uh, like the industry um, of the client. So we've done sports related, health related, uh, education related, um, a wide range of uh, clients and a, a wide range of sizes too. Uh, some of them are um, massive corporations and some of them are uh, somebody had a cool idea or has been doing um, consulting for years, but wanted to have some tools online for it, uh, and we'll help them build those tools. So I think we really like that diversity of projects. We like learning new industries. We like sort of working with people on what they're passionate about, um, and, uh, mixing our expertise with theirs to see if we can build a really cool tool. And, Miriam, you um, you actually do a whole lot of leadership, specifically within the world of CSS and the CSS Working Group, I believe, would be the organization mm -hmm. that you uh, you're working with. How does that balance? Like, your tell me a little bit more about your role with really forwarding um, the the power and the robustness of CSS as a language. Your work with that versus your work with Oddbird, how do you balance those? And tell me a little bit more about your role in that world. Yeah, uh, that's fairly recent um, over the last couple of years. So uh, we're still figuring out some of that balance. But um, yeah, I was, I was doing a lot of the project management at Oddbird and also a lot of the CSS. Although then we started to bring on uh, Stacy Cavernmo and a few others who have been writing uh, great CSS. And um, then uh, Jen Simmons invited me to work on the uh, Mozilla developer channel with her. Um, and out of that, I was trying to teach the cascade and teach CSS. And I kept documenting places where I thought we could improve it. Uh, and Jen told me where to post that on the CSS working group. Uh, and I posted it and they invited me to join and help flesh out those ideas. So I feel very lucky uh, to be there um, and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I've been writing CSS for 15, 20 years, something like that. Um, so it's a lot of fun to take all those ideas that I've built up over those years and think through them with other people who are thinking through how does this actually work in the language uh, and start to make those proposals and 
they're starting to roll out in browsers now, which is just mind blowing for me. It's um, amazing. I mean, you're being so humble, but the the work that you're doing is, and I, and I want to get more into, I, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit frightened to get too deep into the, the technical, but I'm going to, I'm going to steal myself and we're going to go there, but I just can't wait to hear more. We're going to loop back around to some of the work that you're doing with uh, container queries. Oh my goodness. Uh, scope, <laughs> which I'm having problems understanding and also layers mm-hmm. and like how scope and layers would work together, yeah. but just like really cool stuff that's, you know, coming out, um, uh, about to come out that you are really like helping lead the charge on, which is so cool. So thank you for the work that you are doing, making CSS more powerful and, um, in ways better for the type of object oriented work that I'm doing. So I want to get into kind of how those, Perfect. together. But now that we have a little bit more context here, we understand what's going on at Oddbird. Sandra, walk us through this. How does OUX manifest at Oddbird? So as Miriam already mentioned, we used to do in our discovery process um, as one of our deliverables, something called a data model. So that would be I would be collecting all the information from the clients in our initial meetings. And then at some point, the backend developers would go off and create this data model that I didn't really see um, or understand. And we would deliver it to the client, but I don't know that we went over it very much. And it was a little bit of a difficult thing perhaps for them to understand what we were trying to model there. And so it was more of an internal tool for us and just um, to show them that we were thinking through that. So once we became familiar with OOUX and specifically the object map, we just replaced our data model slash glossary that we were creating with the object map. So now what we do in our discovery process is at first, you know, even when we're proposing a paid discovery to our clients, we put that in our list of deliverables and describe what it's going to be and our clients seem to love it. And then we create a Trello board where we're putting all of the objects as the columns in the Trello board, and then putting all the attributes as cards within the Trello board. And then we actually use that during our discovery process as one of our demos. And we go through it together with the client and describe to them what we're trying to do. And we've only gotten to use it with three projects so far, but it's gone really well. Uh, the clients grasp what we're trying to do quite quickly and help us to get clear on the terms, the terminology they want to use. Sometimes it'll um, spark internal discussions amongst themselves, things they hadn't understood that they were talking about in different ways. Um, it helps everybody get really clear on what it is that we're actually trying to build. Um, and then we also use it internally during our discovery process where I probably wouldn't have talked with the backend developers much at all. But now during our discovery, we have a session specifically for me and the backend people to go over the object map. And we try to define those, the piece I hadn't said in our Trello board that we include is the nested objects. And we go through those and try to understand the relationships. And now I understand too the, you know, one, many to many, one to many, all the 
those different kinds of um, backend developer speak um, that I didn't understand before. And so we can talk about whether I define those correctly, you know, whether there's some special case where it's not going to work like I thought. We can go through all of those details. And so it's both improved the value of our discovery for clients, it's improved our discussions, and it's improved our internal um, discovery discussions as well. So that is one of the main ways we've been able to use OOUX at Oddbird now, but another way that we've only got to use with one client project so far is to go through when I'm creating wireframes in discovery and then later on when we're actually doing design and development iterations, I am using those, the list and the card and the detail view ideas to help design the object so that that we only have to design every object once basically and then we're just designing different views of that whether you know depending on where it appears that really worked super well our wireframes used to be about showing the flow of, mm -hmm. of a person through the things that they wanted to do as you mentioned the verbs first and now it's really it does show some of that too but, and it's more about showing the relationships now. So now we show like the different views of the objects and how you would get to one view of the object to a different view of the object. And it's about that instead of about some kind of flow that you follow. Those are the main ways that we've incorporated it in. Um, it's just been transformative, I think. Wow, I have, that's awesome to hear. And I just have so many follow-up questions. My first question is, when you put this into that SOW for the paid discovery and you say one of the deliverables is going to be this object map thing, how do you describe that to your clients to show the value of it? Interesting. So we have a document that we give people as our proposal for our research and we call it our research and concepting phase. Um, and we have each of the deliverables defined in that document. And I think we just have a really small paragraph about how this is going to be a tool where we design, define the terminology together and where we understand the relationships between the objects that are going to be in this tool. And we don't go into it too much. And so far people have been totally on board with it. Um, there has been no pushback at all. And they've just, latched onto it really quickly when we um, presented it to them. So, you know, if they're interested in a paid discovery and working with us at all, that's the bigger hurdle is yeah. that they would understand even how a paid discovery would be valuable. But once they do, then they really are happy to have that object map in there. That's awesome. Yeah. Part of, part of that is I would say what we sell is that we're going to be experts on the process. We're not gonna be experts on your industry, but we're experts on the process. And so trust us, here is what we do uh, and it will it will be worth it. And we also- Go ahead, Sandra. As we also, you know, when I get to do those initial calls with potential clients and I always try to tell them, you know, if you're looking for a company that's going to do a quick and cheap, we're not that company. So it's not the right fit for you if you're looking for quick and cheap. And sometimes that is what people need. But if they're really looking for a company that is going to try to create something that stands the test of time and is high quality and will last for a long period of time, um, 
if that's what they're looking for, then they're interested in all the tools that we use and the processes that we use. And they're really engaged usually in what those are um, and try to help us so that they can get the most value out of this um, budget they're putting in. And going to that, um, standing the test of time, I often say that this helps, this kind of work helps you future-proof your design by creating this really nice conceptual model foundation that you can build on. Um, any thoughts on that, on how, oh, has, has you seen how OUX can help you, whether it's in the, the code or in the user experience, how it could help uh, set, set a nice foundation for standing for a, a website or an application standing the test of time. I think we haven't gotten to use these tools very long. And so we haven't gotten to come back to projects later. Often our clients will work with us for multiple years and then sometimes come back a few years later for something new. And so I will be super curious to see how that works when some of these people come back in a few years, maybe we get to do a refresh or add new features. It will be interesting to go back. I think we're just about to embark actually on a project that we did not get to originally create an object map for that we worked on three or four years ago. And now we get the chance to create an object map. And so I'm gonna, I'm really interested in doing that to see how that's going to change how we were originally thinking about this. And I think it will make the project better, of course, and um, make it valuable as they use it over a longer period of time. I think this project um, is out of date a little bit now and hopefully we can help them create something that will last longer. Cool. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm very excited to, uh, to loop back around to you once you have repeat clients and seeing, okay, the, the, the projects that we did this work on versus the projects we didn't do this work on, how much easier is our life when it comes back around? (laughs) And my guess is that the projects that you've done your object mapping on, you've done that like collaborative data modeling on, they're going to be, um, you're going to have a lot more fun revisiting those because you already have that nice solid foundation. It has come back up as we've worked on an arc of a project. So we have a client that we used it with at the beginning and we're continuing to work with them over multiple years and we have referred back to it. And we've been able to use it as a tool to help us remember now what was that object. It's one of the complex ones that has 10 objects or something, and it has a junction object. And so it hasn't been the easiest and we've used it that way. It's helped us to um, sustain our thinking, be consistent about our thinking about the objects and not kind of lose track as we take on this long project, building multiple features on top of what we already had. Yeah. I mean, what other, so I've just found it's a great form of documentation. I mean, the object guide plus the object map, if you do a CTA matrix, like all those are great for onboarding a new person or just reminding yourself. (laughs) Um, Do y'all do any other form of documentation from the UX side? I know there's probably some development documentation, but what other kind of documentation do you pair other than those that I just mentioned and, and wireframes and how to kind of the wireframes, do you annotate your wireframes? How does that work? I wish we could do a lot more, but our discovery so far has been a very short amount of time. So even two weeks sometimes or four weeks. And so we don't have 
enough time really to go into all of the different kinds of things that you just mentioned. We don't even get to fill out the object map as fully as we could listing like all of the instances of things or how they're going to be added to the application, whether that's manually or automatically or something. Uh, we don't list out CTAs. And so there's so much more we can do. And I'm really excited because our new project manager is interested in helping expand what we offer and helping to write documents that will pitch these things to our clients so that we can add more of that into our process because it would be super helpful. Um, we document things as we go along a bit in the object map and then we have Trello board for project management. And so we're really documenting each of the features within the cards, but um, we have wireframes that we have notes on, but I think it could be cleaned up a lot for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, but also, I mean, I would say that we do document a lot throughout. Uh, so th there might be some things that we can add to the discovery phase there, but um, we are building design systems. Uh, and a lot of that is documented sort of alongside the code. Um, but a lot of it is UX information being documented, um, sort of uh, why did we build the code this way? Well, it's because uh, we have these objects, it's because uh, these are the UX decisions that have been made. Um, so that documentation does happen throughout the development process. So that is a good segue into design systems <laughs> and how these work together. So funny story, I am doing a workshop tomorrow for Clarity Conference, which as you may or may not know is a design system conference. Um, and it is a design work is a OUX workshop specifically for a audience of, I'm assuming design system pros. So I have my ideas on how OUX can inform a design system. Miriam, I'm looking at you. Like, how do you see these things kind of working together and informing each other? Um, yeah, what's how how are OUX and design systems? How do you kind of see them as pairing up? Yeah, Ooh. um, I mean, aren't they the same thing? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, at least there's a lot of overlap. I think you know, design systems are all about um, understanding the parts of the page and how they fit together, uh, what all is there. And there's so many different tools that can be part of that um, from code, which can include backend code, front-end code, JavaScript, CSS, HTML, um, to design tokens, uh, to take Gina's great term. Um, Clarity Conference is so good. I can't wait. Um, Are you speaking? <laughs> I'm not speaking you'll be there. Uh, this year. I, I spoke before and I'll just be there this time. Uh, but I love it. It's one of my favorite conferences. Uh, yeah, I, I think um, documenting objects is part of what a design system is. So this is another tool that just sort of fits cleanly into how do you think about design systems? What are the tools that you have for creating them and documenting them? Um, I mean, different people are gonna need different tools. It's sort of the same confusion that we get with like, is a component library a design system? Mm. Well, uh, component line 
a component library is a useful part of a design system for some projects. Um, and I think you can say the same thing here. Uh, OOUX is a really useful tool that we can build into our design systems or use to a philosophy we can use to think about them. Exactly. So the, the way that I'm going to, I always use Dan Mall's metaphor, which uh, helped me a lot. He says that a lot of design systems are like a bucket of Ikea parts without any instructions. <laughs> And that OUX could come out, be those instructions on like, how do we put all mm -hmm. these components together to create meaningful things? And let me, I'll just run by you, like what I'm going to be telling people tomorrow and tell me if I'm wrong <laughs> so, so that I can pivot. <laughs> um, but uh, basically like my philosophy on this is your objects your objects is the substance. It's what people are coming for, right? It's events or people or articles um, or products, whatever those things are that the user is actually coming for. And the design system, that component library, style guide, voice and tone, all that good stuff is how that is presented and packaged to the user. Okay, you're nodding, that's good. Um, and that I, my proposal is, or my thesis, I suppose, is that we need to figure out what the stuff is first before we figure out how to package it. Like, are we are we providing ketchup or laundry detergent or motor oil? Like, what is the stuff? Okay, it's motor oil, great. Let me design really great ergonomic on-brand packaging for that motor oil, because it's gonna be different if it's ketchup. So let's figure out what the stuff is first so that we can then kind of consistently package that that stuff so it's recognizable. Yeah, I also think about sort of layers of abstraction. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this ties in of like, we've, we often talk about, you know, we've got design tokens, they're very abstract. You've got your colors, your fonts, whatever. Um, and on one hand, you can sort of come up with those in advance and then apply them to your objects. Um, but then also information is gonna have to move the other way. You're gonna be working on an object and you're gonna say, actually, actually we need something different here. Uh, the colors we have don't cover it. Um, we have to push information back up. Um, and so I, I think of it as sort of slotting into that, that part of the system and it informs other parts of the system and sort of a design system has to hold all of that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the, the objects that you get from OOUX inform it and are informed by it. And there's this sort of back and forth between those layers um, so we'll have like components, which represent the actual objects themselves. And then we'll have patterns that are sort of abstracted away from them. Like we often need a border. It is going to be this color, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's not the component. The component is an object. It's, it's the, uh, the product or whatever. Um, and so we can sort of separate and step back and say, what do some objects share? Can we make that? consistent? Where do we need difference? Yeah. Are you familiar, Miriam, are you familiar with the concept of shapeshifters and masked objects? Yeah, I had Sandra link me to them earlier. <laughs> so I am now. Okay. <laughs> so uh, for those, for those that are listening that don't know the, uh, the difference between these, Sandra, do you want to explain it or you, you want me to take it? You said shapeshifters. Shapeshifters and, and masks. That's what I feel like is really going to apply to design systems. Yeah. I think I have such a really strong handle on those shapeshifters because 
it happens so often where you um, have an object and then if you see it in a list view or something, uh, then you see it later in a detail view or a card, it looks totally different. It has different attributes. They're located in different places in relationship to each other. And you're just like, wait, was that the same event that I saw? on that first page or is this some different event or something else entirely. Um, so that has been something that I've really caught myself doing sometimes as I'm designing mock-ups. And so it's been someone, it's really in my brain there now because of um, this study on, in OUX land. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's like, it's, I, I just, I had one on OUX.com. I mean, it's crazy how they can like, how we, how we manage to overcomplicate things and create more complexity than what we actually need. Yeah. And, and sometimes you need a shapeshifter. You just want to be really intentional about it. You want to say, oh, this now this thing is showing up in this different context, this different user. And all of a sudden this attribute is more important. So let's like move it up and put it in bright red or something like that. We that's okay. We just need to be super intentional about that and realize that we're sacrificing consistency and make sure that we balance that and say, is this worth it? Or is it not? Or should we just keep it exactly the same? Um, so that's something that I see really kind of feeding in to design systems is saying, okay, this is like, this is what this thing looks like. And here's how much you can vary it. Um, and then on the mm -hmm. flip side, you have mass, which I think is almost more, I mean, I don't know which one's worse, <laughs> but mass I think are more common because there's the, you get the efficiency play. So you can justify a mass object, which is the flip side of the shapeshifter. So a shapeshifter is an object that looks different in different places, while a mass object are two different objects that look the same. So two different objects wearing the exact same outfit. And so you'll see stuff in, um, in design systems, like here's our homepage tile or here's our sidebar card and anything can go in the sidebar card. A person can go in it. An article can go in it. It's so flexible. It does all these things. Um, but then what you end up with is you end up with the user having to sort of, they, they, the things blur together because it's masked. It's two different things that look exactly the same. Is that something, or Miriam, do you, do you see that in a lot of design systems where there's not that level of specificity on these are the things that our design system is supposed to represent? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's sort of the core problem of design systems. Um, and even what people complain about a lot is like they say a, a design system is going to limit my creativity or make everything look the same. And it's it is the core problem to figure out is how much different do things need to be? How similar do things need to be? Where do we actually want to yeah. enforce consistency and where do we actually not want consistency? Like, is it sometimes it's actually helpful to not be consistent. Um, and I, I think those terms give a good way of talking about those problems sort of from both ends. Like it's a problem on either end. If everything is, all too similar or all too different. Mm -hmm. um, we need to think about which things and why are the same and different. Right. Where should you be putting, where should you be reinventing the wheel and where do you, should you not be reinventing the wheel? Like don't waste your creativity here. Like when I, like one thing that I push back that I'll sometimes get 
And I'd like to see y'all's reaction to this, but like pushback that I will get on um, shapeshifters of saying like, hey, instead of making it different in these three different places, how about you design the one thing that is the one card, let's say it's an event card, Meetup is a great example. If you ever want to just play with auditing some shapeshifters, they're all over Meetup. Like an event looks different every single page you go to. Um, So why not just design the one and reuse it across all of these different scenarios and pushback that I will sometimes get is wouldn't that be boring for the user? Like if if the event looked the same everywhere, (laughs) what would you say to that person? I don't think no. boring is the problem with a lot of applications. I mean, when I'm talking to my mother on the phone about how to find the things she needs to in um, Google Photos, boring is not the issue. She's not like, I'm so bored with Google Photos. If only it was more interesting. She's like, I cannot find my photos because I'm clicking on something and it's going one place one time and another place another time. And she cannot figure out. where her shared folder is she needs her shared folder to look the same wherever it appears and it doesn't and so I had to draw her a little wireframe of how it was broken the last time we were hanging out so that she could refer back to it and remember like okay this looked different here than it does here and that's how I can remember where to find it um so I yeah that's my main reaction is like boring isn't the problem that we're mainly dealing with right now Right. Yeah. My reaction to that is if you're telling me that you're worried about the user being bored because this component looks the same everywhere, that is your ego talking. (laughs) Like nobody's coming to your website to like, look at you play with design. Like there there are places. Yeah. Unless that's what your website is. And and then sure, like have fun. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's different things. Like I don't want my hammer to be exciting. I want it to hit things. Yeah. and then I will read a book and I expect the words to be exciting. Right. Uh, so they're different things and we treat them differently. Yeah. And I mean, on Meetup, like one example is depict your status of the event. In one place, it says it's as a green check mark and it says going. And the other place, it's a different green check mark in a different place and it says yes. And like, that is not making the application more interesting to me is that it says going in one place and it says yes in the other place. Like, just say the same thing, just use the same label. Because when there's differences, what happens is we try to attribute meaning to that. And if it's totally arbitrary, we're going to be like one, zero, one, zero. Like, what's the difference between going and yes? Is there a difference between that? Or, um, the other one is like, I'm attending or, you know, like, I don't know, maybe there is, there's not a difference between that. All right. Let's, I, I want to get into a little bit more about, um, sort of the, te- a little bit more of these technicalities of actually, I'm going to ask more of a, an overarching question, uh, specifically to you, Miriam. Um, what do you wish when you're working on design systems and you have this really strong uh, front end background. When you're working with designers that don't have that, that don't have, they, they might be able to read a little bit of CSS, um, but they don't have that, that knowledge. What do you wish that those designers knew more of? 
Um, I, it's pretty consistently the same thing. And I really wish design tools would help you with this. I think it's a failure of the tools um, in a lot of cases, but relationships. I want, I want to understand how things are supposed to relate to each other and how they're supposed to move. It's not enough to know that this is eight pixels. I want to know why it's eight pixels. I want to know that it's eight pixels because eight pixels is our gutter size. And we use that everywhere that we need a gutter's width. Um, I need to know those relationships. I want to know that the font size is 24 pixels uh, because that's uh, 16 pixels times one point whatever. Um, I, I want those relationships. I want everything to be sort of systemically tied together meaningfully. Um, and that's because that's what CSS is. CSS is just writing down how things are supposed to relate because the web fundamentally, uh, you, you can't tell it what to do. You have to tell it why, uh, because your website's going to be read over Alexa and uh, over headphones, and it's going to be viewed on a watch and also on a massive 4K TV. Uh, and there's no way to design all of the places it will be. Uh, so you have to instead explain why. Mm -hmm. um, and CSS is how you explain to a browser why. Uh, and so I want that from designers. I want to know why. I want to know, is this this size or is this um, a fraction of the page or is it a fraction of its container or like what, what was the thought behind how you got here? Mm. Uh, because I have to code that thought process. Wow. Yeah. So how does that come into, um, how does that come into how you actually name your CSS styles, does it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot of asking why. Uh, right. And then, you know, the names have to be based on, um, you know, blue doesn't tell me why. So a class named blue doesn't tell me anything. Uh, a class named info, and then info is blue. Okay, we're getting somewhere. Um, like just keep pushing on the, like, why, well, why are we doing it this way? What is the meaning behind it? What are we trying to express? Uh, cause the more we can tell the browser what we're trying to express, the smarter it can be about expressing it differently in different contexts. So what do you think about to come back to that? Why <laughs> I think you might know where I'm going here, <laughs> but what do you think about naming your styles? in an object-oriented way. So it's not card div, it is event card or person card or even headers. So this H3 is for, this is our, this is our person H3 and we're gonna actually make it different than our, um, our event H3 because all of our people are gonna be, are gonna have a like, we wanna give them a heavier weight, right? Uh, and maybe we even have some reasoning behind why we want to give them a heavier weight, or we want to have um, the ratio of the card. Because I like to have, for example, I love putting people in circles. Um, I think it's great. I want to put people in circles all over the internet because it helps us identify people. <laughs> all right. And in real life, and I just want people in circles. I just want people in circles, holding hands, 
in a basket <laughs> all day long. <laughs> but like, even in Zoom, like, why are we not in circles? Why are we in squares? Um, but I guess video sizes. But talk to me about that. Like, do you run into problems with that where you're actually naming your styles based on what is being represented? I would say that's where we get into the sort of layers of abstraction and thinking about, um, you know, maybe using the terms that uh, Nicole Sullivan came up with for OOCSS or something else, but separating out um, content from structure, from skin, uh, and being able to say, okay, sure, maybe there is something that is shared by all the cards um, and it's a border around the edge and a little bit of padding. Um, okay, so we have a card component that is generic um, and can be reused, but it's pretty basic. Uh, and we can put different components into it. And those components are more specific. Um, and by separating out those patterns and saying, one is a general design abstraction, uh, and one is an actual object on the page. Uh, mm. And we can put them together. And when we put them together, that's a person card. Um, but we also have the abstraction of the card and the specifics of the person. And we're just layering one inside the other. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So I might have, I might have these higher abstraction general rules. And then when I get down to actually putting them together into an object, that's when I might say like, this is, this is a person profile versus an event right. image instead of just using like an event or, right. sorry, and like an person profile, too. person profile happens to rely on the card abstraction, mm -hmm. but that's sort of separate. This is person profile. It relies on that abstraction, just like it relies on, um, link color, mm -hmm. uh, which is another abstraction. We can rely on those abstractions, but they're separate. Right. Right. Cool. And so some of the things like, I, I specifically want to talk a little bit about container queries. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm going to try to explain container queries and tell me where. I'm. So we have our media queries, right? Responsive design, media queries. We can say, what is the viewport? And from there, we can usually say, what is the device? Kind of talk about the device, right? Usually we can say that this is going to be a touch screen and we can make decisions about the overall layout. A container query is basically saying, what is the, what is the width of this particular container? And let's make decisions about layout based on what's in the container. So I might have a, let's say I have an event card and I can determine at the event level, like, what does it look like when it's, I'm going to use pixels, but like, let's, let's say if it's, if I have under 300 pixels, this is what the layout's going to be, whether it is because I am on a mobile device or because the event is in some sort of sidebar-y thing. You got it. Yeah. Perfect. That's exactly it. And in a similar way to, so media queries, you're talking about the medium. So it's the, the size of the viewport and it's the type of interactions, whether it's touch or um, how precise is the pointer um, questions like that. You're thinking about the medium. Does it support colors? Um, and then with a container query, we can also expand out. So you were talking about sizes with both. And I think that's ma massive use case. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the main thing. 
but you can sort of think about again, like, well, what else can I ask about the container that I'm in? Can I ask its background? Can I ask if it's a card? Can I ask, um, what other information might I want from the container that I'm in currently, uh, that affects some styles contextually? Wow. So I feel like so much of what, I mean, container queries and, and from what I understand, I don't think we have time to get into, but from what I understand about layers and scope is we're letting the CSS, we're making the CSS more powerful in creating sort of conditional logic and rules around in this context, this is how it should be displayed. Yeah. And it's, just, it's an extension of what you were, or what we were saying earlier, where CSS is all about expressing these uh, sort of the meaning and the reasons and the conditions. Um, and it's sort of expanding out that power. So like we have important say, where you can say some styles are more important than others. Um, but layers give us a way to say why. Um, well, these these styles come from the framework and the framework is less important than the theme. So theme styles are gonna override framework styles. Okay, we've expressed some meaning there in why our styles are overriding each other. Um, or with scope, it's about uh, sort of the parent context. Uh, what's more targeted, what's less targeted and controlling that really specifically um, and narrowing down and saying, I don't want to just style all the titles. I want to style the title of a person mm -hmm. um, and target that specifically, which is currently, there's some ways to do it in CSS, but it's hard. A lot of people use BEM or other approaches that sort of build on CSS, but this would build it in. That's so amazing. I think that's going to give I think it's going to really help people make more object-oriented design systems where they're, if they can figure out this nice conceptual model, what are we actually, what is the stuff that we're representing? And then figure, okay, here's all the components. Here's how these components come together. And then we can start saying, all right, this is what this particular object looks like when it has this much space or this background or this theme. Um, that's just, I don't know, that's, that's really, really exciting. And I think uh, OOUX does play into this. I mean, I was saying having designers express purpose is a big concern for me. And I would say OOUX does that. It, um, it pushes Sandra to say, not just this is red, but uh, this is red because of this is how we're handling these objects uh, in a meaningful way. Um, and so there's there's more meaning baked into every design that I get. Right. And if we going back to like, so if we if we start with you said something, uh, Miriam, on one of the podcasts that I listened to that you were on, and you were talking about sort of your process and how you only usually in the beginning will get to a few high fidelity wireframes, prototypes, you'll get to a few, a few screens. And then that gets turned into a design system. And then from there, Sandra, another designer can just do a napkin sketch because you have the design system. Is there, and, and that's, I, I'm totally behind that. I think that, you know, I, I subscribe to what I know Dan Mall says about it is like, you don't want to create a kit of parts and then create the product. You want to create a product, extract a kit of parts so that then you can like one up that product or develop other products, other features from it. 
Is there ever a use case for just creating a kit of products without thinking about what those things represent? Uh, uh, <laughs> it's not well, a trick question. A, I'm just about to... <laughs> I mean, the the only reason that I've seen it done that I'm like, well, yeah, okay, you had to do that is when you're building an abstract design system that anybody's going to use, like Blueprint. Right. Blueprint doesn't have the option of having objects uh, because, I mean, Bootstrap, don't I? Mm-hmm. Um, Bootstrap, they don't have objects. They're just trying to give you a design system that you can apply to your own objects. Um, so, I mean, sure, if you're building that sort of abstract framework, yeah. but if you've got objects, why wouldn't you use them? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the answer to that is because you don't know what they are. (laughs) You haven't defined them yet, which is most companies, which is crazy. Most companies I could go in and I could say, what are your main things? And I'm going to get, if I ask three people, I'll get three different answers because they haven't been defined yet. Um, So cool. Awesome. Final question for you. Advice, any advice to agencies such as yours who are wanting to integrate object-oriented UX, how do you start integrating it? What would be those first steps? I think the object map is such a useful tool and you can use it at a really uh, simple level at first. You don't have to document everything. You just even getting those um, columns, if you're thinking in Trello with the objects labeled on each column in Trello, I mean, that is a huge step in the right direction. And so that would be certainly the first thing I would start with. Miriam, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think, I think that's, I think that's true. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think there was something, uh, that I thought of when you were talking about our, our design process of higher fidelity near the beginning. And I think there's an interesting distinction to make there. And I, I might be jumping to the wrong question here. That's okay. But um, I we've found that what Sandra needs to feel like she's designing what she wants and what a client needs to see or what a developer needs to see are sometimes different. So sometimes we'll discover that Sandra has been secretly making high fidelity designs, <laughs> um, but then not showing them to us. Uh, which is great because for a designer's process, it makes sense to sometimes be able to see that high fidelity and make sure everything's looking good. Um, But sometimes when you show that to a client and it's incomplete in some ways, it's hard to explain what's incomplete. So you really want to show them the napkin sketch. Mm -hmm. Uh, And sometimes also for developers, what you want is some sort of napkin sketch that says these are the objects. Uh, So it's okay for different people on the team to need different things at different fidelities at different times. And that's, that's great. I mean, and I think that maybe does play into this question. I think that's a piece of advice that I would have for teams doing this is don't assume that everybody needs the same thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Feel free to show some people one thing and some people a different thing and, uh, or a different level of fidelity or a different type of abstraction or talk about it in a different way. And that's fine. And I think using those list card and detail um, concepts when you need to have your objects um, appear in those different sizes has helped me to be able to more quickly create those designs that I need to see. 
so that I don't waste a bunch of time trying to get something that I understand to be working. Um, and it's helped me to not have to always go so far with such a high fidelity before I can know it's working. So that's another huge tool that I would say, like definitely start with that in your process whenever you can. The other thing is that the process doesn't have to move one direction. So uh, we'll get, um, Sandra will hand off something to developers, they'll start building it, and then we get back together at the end uh, and work out details. Um, and that's some of where we can ask like, oh, what exactly did you mean here? We didn't catch the meaning. Did we get it? Did we capture it correctly? Um, did we convey the objects in the way that you meant us to? Uh, so we can go back to those. Oh, UX doesn't have to be all up front. Right. Um, it can be a continuing conversation between the designers and developers. Thread it through the entire process. <laughs> exactly. And I really think, I mean, that once you do those cards and details and lists, and this is what I'm hoping that the folks in my workshop tomorrow will see, is that once you have those, you can extract from that about 90% of your design system, about all the things you need. I mean, down to like, okay, we need some sort of filter toggly thing for, cause we're just, we have a list of trails and we have easy, medium, hard for our trails. And we want some sort of little toggle for easy, medium, hard. So we need a toggle filter um, down to like, we need a map uh, with, with, uh, with overlays on it to show points of interest on a map. Like I can extract the only thing that I can, that I can think of that doesn't get covered in those cards, details and lists that you can't kind of back into and be like, Oh, here's the pieces that we need for our design system would be nav bars, like main navigation, everything else. I don't know. I don't know if anything else that you like, would you miss from that? Maybe progress mm -hmm. bars. Like if you're in a, if you're in a flow and you need some sort of like, you're this step in the process, like you're like, got like a little wizard bar that might, but I think it would be like at least 90% of your, um, of your atoms and molecules could be extracted Mm -hmm. from um from those main components yeah it speeds that up it speeds that process up so much that you get to like maybe even work on custom like graphics or illustrations because you still have time in the budget because yeah. you've sped up that process of knowing what is going to be in there you could design it more interestingly yeah. And that's where you can put your creativity, come up with three different ways to do like an easy, medium, hard. Like, is it like some sort of like meter thing, or is it some sort of like, you know, do you have like some sort of fun little like boulder icons or something like that? Boulder icon would be hard to translate. Uh, <laughs> nobody would know what that is, but you know what I mean? Like, like how steep the mountain is. Um, have fun with that. Have fun with those little kind of the, um, those interfaces and, and those components and not worry so much about showing something, uh, showing a trail differently every single page you design because you're designing page by page instead of thing by thing. All right, any final thoughts about systems thinking, object-oriented UX process? It's been fun. I really enjoyed everything I learned. <laughs> I'm excited about being able to get it, to do mentoring in your uh, next OUX cohort coming up. Um, that's going to be really exciting and help me understand the whole process even better. So 100% super excited to have you as a mentor for cohort six. So if you're listening and you are on the wait list for cohort six, or you're not on the wait list for cohort six, go to 
go to ox.com slash waitlist and maybe Sandra will be your mentor. Lucky you. Awesome. Yeah. I think the other thing that I would say is like, there doesn't have to be, you don't have to do it all or nothing. Um, you don't have to do it perfect. You don't have to fit the system, make it fit you. Um, take what you need. I'm sure that there's parts that we're leaving out. Um, and oh, maybe so we'll much. pick up some of Wait, them later. Are you saying that you're um, not doing great. all 15 steps of the process in their exact order every <laughs> single time? What? I have a feeling we might not be. <laughs> but like the parts we've taken have been useful and we figure out how to slot them into our process and into our team. And then we look at a new bit and we're like, oh, that would be useful too. Let's adapt it in this way. Um, we don't have to do it exactly how you do it. Oh my gosh. We'll just take the idea and adapt it. Of course. And I love hearing how you say how you bounce around from these different activities. I mean, no, it doesn't have to happen in the order of the ORCA process, the four rounds of the ORCA process. It will change per project. It will change per uh, team. It will change per day of the week. Um, it's just a, it's a nice bag of tools that you can use um, wherever they're where it's most applicable. So, all right. Well, I'm very excited to have y'all back maybe in a year or two, uh, maybe not even that long. When you loop back around, um, we can talk more about case studies um, and some of the some of the work that is out there in the world, OUX. That will be awesome. So thank you. Thank you both ladies for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit objectoriented.ux.com slash podcast for show notes. Our soundtrack is Fighter by Ruby Bell, courtesy of Sugaroo Records. Happy OUXing!